Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world. This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel once again on our weekly series, which I'm always just happy, really without containing it too much, excited to be with you for another edition of All Rise the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And as you, I hope you will discover by spending an hour with us each Friday morning, 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, we'll take one of the more important issues of our day or generally kind of the life is the way we're seeing it that are usually not discussed by our so-called leaders and provide a fairly in-depth analysis showing if we apply libertarian values, libertarian approaches, such that people everywhere will all rise together, frequently, of course, at the expense of many powerful and established local interests. And we're going to do that today in this segment. Uh, I'm going to introduce to you Ms. Carla Howell, who is a longtime, just steady person in the Libertarian Party. And she is, actually, we're going to call this some sneak previews because she's written some songs, some of which are Libertarian, some of which are more general, but they're really inspired. So we're going to treat you with a few snippets from some of her songs as well. So Carla Howell, who is this fine lady? Well, she went to Babson College and uh, actually then has been a leader in organizing tax cut petitions initiatives in Massachusetts uh, or repeal the Massachusetts. Massachusetts income tax. That was both in 2002 and 2008. Boy, I tell you, this lady is a live wire. Also was in leading trying to cut state sales taxes in Massachusetts in the year 2010. Has been the political director of the National Libertarian Party, like I said, and ran for U.S. Senate in 2000 against Ted Kennedy, as I understand it. Got about 12% of the votes, so you know that she's legitimate. Also ran for state auditor, so she is a force. I've been on the staff of the Libertarian National Committee from 2011 through 2017. And (laughs) one of her songs, which we're not going to get into today, but it just really got my attention, How Could I Live Without Filing Taxes? So, Carla Howell, thank you for being with us and, and welcome to All Rise. Thank you very much, Jim. It's great to be on your show. Well, thank you. And I've been looking forward to this. Tell us how you became a member of the Libertarian Party, Carla Howell. Well, I was very apolitical and politically naive for much of my life. Just really didn't want to hear anything about government if I didn't have to. And I was interested in healthcare, very interested in finding solutions, uh, having been in high tech for my career up until that point. And I started to look for ways to do that and found that I and others who had solutions that we could bring to market that would make healthcare better were effectively illegal. They were um, the various laws and regulations in place at the federal and state level make it very, very difficult to innovate in the healthcare industry. It's decades behind. It was decades behind back then, and it still is where it's behind where it should be in terms of an innovation where technology can make healthcare better. So I 
I came to, it took me a while to figure it out, but finally came to understand that the problem was government, that all these problems would solve themselves in the free market, but government gets in the way. And I was just incensed. I was furious that laws that alleged to make us safer and better actually harm people. And some people, in some cases, people actually lose their lives. And this is just crazy. So I found the Libertarian Party was the only party that supported health freedom and getting the government out of health care. And then I got involved. And that was really propelled by the candidacy of Harry Brown, who ran for president on the Libertarian Party ticket in 1996 and and 2000. So back in 96, I got very active supporting his campaign. And to, to this day, I laud Mr. Harry Brown as the greatest candidate for public, public office, not only in the Libertarian Party's history, but also in the nation's history. He was absolutely marvelous. Um, so that got me active, and, and here I am today. I have read Harry Brown's book. I, I know he's written a couple of them, but I, I share your view, uh, Carla. He is really just a mainstay, a, a guiding light for all of us. Uh, I have actually written a column saying that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has probably killed tens of thousands of people. And what do I mean by that? Well, they have kept some medicines from being able to be on the market that would have saved lives. Oh, we haven't gone through the bureaucratic process yet, so we're not going to allow them, even though Germany and Japan and other places have used them successfully. So I fully agree with you. And as to the medical system, and I've said this numbers of times on our on our show, and I've interviewed medical doctors talking about our present direction of our medical care system. And the conclusion is, if you want our medicine to be controlled by the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's exactly where we're going and with the same results. It just doesn't work. So I applaud you openly and and publicly for what you've been doing, and I certainly share your being incensed. Thank you. I, I, I would just I would just disagree with you on one thing. I think healthcare run by government is actually far more dysfunctional than the DMV. <laughs> I said, I sit corrected, Carla. I think you're right. <laughs> but uh, one way or the other, you have addressed libertarian issues and, and teachings and mentoring in a fully different way. And good for you. You've composed, you've sung and recorded really quite a few songs that will be released, as I understand it, really fairly soon over the next year. Uh, some of them are general in nature, and but some of them are interesting set forth libertarian issues. What caused you to do this? Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about how this came about. Well, when I got active back in the 90s, I remembered the early 70s um, when I was a teenager and how rock and roll and the whole uh, anti-war and social liberalization movements were propelled by the music of that day that really helped to mobilize people and get them emotionally and involved and active in fighting against the Vietnam War and fighting for personal freedoms. And I thought, you know, this Libertarian Party movement needs music. This movement needs music. Music, And then I quickly discovered that it's actually much more challenging with Libertarians because unlike the hippies of the early 70s who were generally under 30 and liked rock and roll, Libertarians are demographically as diverse as any organization you will find on earth. They are every age, ethnicity, religion, gender, um, worldview, you name it. 
they vary and their musical tastes vary just as much. So um, I made an attempt to write some songs of a few different musical styles, folk, jazz, blues, rock, one you could say is a country song. Um, so that's what I did. I, I wrote them and uh, tweaked them over time and, and several of them were informed very much by my own uh, political experiences. Good. And, and you're right. You can really have an enormous lasting impact by by music. Uh, certainly, we go back to the song "We Shall Overcome" for heaven's sake, and and uh, that sort of thing really works. Uh, I've tried to do the same thing, Carl. I've written a musical called "Convention: The Birth of America," and uh, one of the songs called "What About Me." shows first of all the delegates showing how proud they are and how successful but then you have a slave saying well wait a minute what about me and then you have a woman well this isn't helping but what about me or a native american and even a blacksmith so you can do a great deal in music we're not at all rise really that capable of, of playing snippets of music but we're going to give it a try uh, what i would suggest that we play just a little bit of first do no harm may we do that uh, author and singer carla howell sure okay let's see if we can show our our guests a, a little bit about this or have them listen to it i think you'll be impressed and it's fun first do no harm Just, Carla, you really nail it, and certainly talk about upbeat, but uh, you have all the dominoes and consequences. This will really make an impact. Well well done, and well performed, too, by the way. Well, thank you. You have a great, great backup group, too, with, uh, I know, some singers and some uh, other rec- musicians. Uh, did you record these in studios? With You must have had quite an assemblage of people. Yes, recorded them in um, Acton, Massachusetts, got a number of, uh, it's not a band per se, I hired various musicians and some just contributed their time. Uh, There's one backup singer and songs have some, uh, most of them have piano, there's drums, bass, there's sax, both alto and, uh, or tenor sax, bass clarinet, clarinet, flute, violin, guitar. So you know, this, quite a this f- takes, and timpani. <laughs> this takes commitment. These things don't just happen, do they, Carla Howell? But no, they don't. <laughs> indeed not. But but they're, they're your babies, and I'm anxious to see them be born. Let's let's hear another one. Uh, there, you have one called Yak Yak Bourbon. What's what's it about, and what was your inspiration in putting this one together? Well, that one is about the alcohol prohibition, and it's got a reprise, which you will not hear in this in this snippet, but it has a reprise that basically draws parallels between the alcohol and drug prohibitions and how they were both utter and complete failures. Uh, I've 
as you know, Carla, I, I saw this so much from my perspective of former criminal defense attorney in the Navy JAG Corps, a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles, and then I'd been a judge on trial court for about nine years and held a press conference, which people don't do, but told the world that, as much as I could, drug prohibition is an abject failure, and why is it any different than alcohol prohibition, which, by the way, the federal government was not authorized to do without an amendment to the Constitution, uh, amendment, the 18th Amendment, uh, and then, of course, they repealed it with the 21st Amendment, but it was the same thing, kind of sleight of hand, how the government encroached upon drug prohibition without that amendment because they originally called it a tax and then kind of made it illegal from a tax standpoint. But you're right. Let's hear Yak Yak Bourbon and get these points across. Carla Howell. And rum. So in came the alcohol prohibition. Hallelujah, here comes salvation. No more cavorting at the evil saloons. We'll all be civil now. We've outlawed booze. Preacher Sunday said the rain of tears is now over, but America was never to be as sober. Yak, yak, bourbon and a moonshine America's one big party time Drinks, get <laughs> You know, of course, you're absolutely right, Carla All you need to do when you have any problem at all Is just pass a law So, oh, we don't We look at the evils of some people's use of, of booze So let's just outlaw And that'll take care of it And we won't have any problems anymore Well, wait a minute Al Capone thrived because we outlawed bourbon The quality control, of course We had numbers of people dying Because they drink some of this white lightning And, and be impure And that all problems went away uh, After at least the, the quality control problems Went away after that As well as a lot of the, the corruption Because of the outlawed uh, drug money, which of course now we're experienced throughout with regard to drug prohibition. So thank you. I've, I've heard that whole song and I invite other people when they're released to find and listen to and, and pass along to your friends these songs by libertarian Carla Howell. So you have another one that we can go into called What's Inside Your Head. Uh, that's a scary thought, but uh, how, how did you put this one together and, and what, uh, what, what's it about? Well, it's actually a memorial to my late brother who was autistic. Um, I wrote it after he died. He was uh, 50 years old back in uh, 1991, and he passed away. Um, and so I wrote it for his memorial service. And just, you know, my, my, my thoughts about him. Oh, good for you. That's 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 so hard. Well, I'm please again. My condolences. Fifty years old is just not not old enough, and I'm I'm just sorry. The answer from my standpoint is Carla Howell and anyone else who wants to listen. Enjoy your life when you have it. It can be fickle, and you don't want to be on your deathbed looking back and thinking, I wish I would have or I wish I would not have. But but thank you, Carla. And in that spirit, uh, let's play and listen to a little bit of what's inside your head with libertarian Carla Powell singing a good tribute to her brother. Rocking, pacing, what's inside your head, stubborn. Staying, what's inside your head? Now you're smiling, now you're feeling right. Grinning, beaming, everything's all right. Ooh, 
ladies and gentlemen, this is a profound musician and, and composer, uh, Carla Howell. We've been treated, Carla, to those. Th- thank you. you. Certainly, and those three songs have totally different styles, which is a bit unusual in today's world, too. But, but uh, I'm sure there wasn't a dry eye in the place at that memorial service for your brother. But, but hats mm-hmm. off to you and, and simply thank you. What a gift! What a what a contribution! And of Thank course, you. Carla, you're you're well known for saying that small government is the answer to most of our nation's problems. Uh, and I see you sent me an email, and I think probably on all of your emails you include this quote from Scott Adams: "Quote the system of government our founding fathers designed has turned into a congealed ball of lard that eats money and excretes red tape." Again, that's by Scott <laughs> Adams, but but uh, that certainly shows where you are with regard to your view of small government is the answer for most of our nation's problems. Please give us some instances, give us some examples, and, and uh, what difference would it make if we were to get to a smaller, reduced government? Well, as far as getting there, um, that the Democrats today are the entrepreneurs in politics. They are constantly concocting new big government programs like the Green New Deal or universal health care. And the Republicans, who also occasionally propose more big government, such as new wars, but most of the time, they're merely criticizing and mocking Democratic proposals. They're playing defense, whereas the Democrats are going on the offense and advancing their big government proposals. What is left on the table is big, keeping government big or making it bigger. Those are the only choices that result from the fact that the Democrats and Republicans dominate the airwaves. We need proposals for shrinking government, and we need them talked about a lot. So if we want small government, we need to be constantly talking about ending the war on drugs ending the federal income tax, ending the Federal Reserve, ending the Department of Education, and why that's a good thing. Now, in Massachusetts, we put our first end the income tax state initiative, uh, income tax initiative on the ballot, as you mentioned, in 2002. And despite overpowering opposition, mostly from the media, we still got 45% of the vote. And it would have won if the many people who don't vote and who tend to be much more skeptical of big government and dislike taxes, had they voted, I believe it would have won. In, in 2010, we ran our sales tax cut initiative that would have cut the sales tax in half, and it was winning in the polls. But then our opposition came along with $5 million in advertising. We didn't have anything but a trivial five-digit advertising budget. We couldn't compete with that. They also put out a massive get-out-the-vote for the no side on that ballot initiative statewide and drove our numbers down and we ended up with 43% of the vote on that one. But what we did show in both of these cases is that a bold proposal to not this little 10% over two years kind of thing, but let's end the income tax now, let's cut the sales tax in half now, actually is very attractive to voters. And and so that's what, what we need to see the Libertarian Party doing more of. Indeed so. And in fact, on a prior segment of All Rise, we had Dr. Jim Doty, who was an economist professor at Chapman University here in Orange County, California, who became the the president of that university. But he gained a great deal of notoriety because we had 
Proposition 13 here in California that put a cap on how government could raise our property taxes. And everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be terrible and the schools are going to suffer and people are going to be wandering in the streets and, and starving. And Jim Doty looked at the statistics and found out, no, it actually was a better thing for the society uh, for, for reducing those. You'd have security. You would know what the taxes would be and, and you couldn't be raised any higher. And he was right. And this is by way of saying that had you been gotten that extra 6% in the vote, I think that we would have seen that Jim Doty's statistic would have been right with regard to Massachusetts as well. And it was certainly right when the Reagan administration reduced income taxes. You stimulate the economy. And actually, in many ways, the government, if they lower taxes, receive more revenues. That's what happened in the Kennedy administration. So I'm deeply sorry. I hope you hope you can somehow do it again or reinstitute that, uh, that fight. And, and thank you for having done that. Uh, are there any other we did, in fact, um, an economic study was done that showed in the case of the sales tax, which was a much smaller cut in revenue than the income tax would have been, that that would have created in the state of Massachusetts 30,000 new jobs. So uh, that cutting taxes is absolutely great for the economy. But I would caution that we don't want to they say that lowering the tax will create more economic activity, therefore higher taxes. Well, that was definitely not our goal. Our goal was to cut government spending, and it would have done that. It wouldn't have cut as much as our opponents claimed, but it would have cut spending, and that was actually something that's a very good thing. We need to sell and acknowledge that cutting spending, government spending, is a very good thing. When they're wasting money, when they're doing bad things with it, we're not better off spending it. We're worse off. That's, so that's true. We it's shouldn't only, shy away from that point. Indeed not. And and only government is 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 better off because everyone else is not. And to the degree that I, I will tell you or anyone else that listens, big government is really, really good and effective at one thing, and that's increasing the size, the cost, and the power of big government, which we have certainly seen. And, and just take you mentioned the Department of Education. Our educational system nationwide was so much better before Jimmy Carter's administration created the Department of Education, which now has just made everything so much more bureaucratic, so many more rules, so much more spending in the bureaucracy that uh, it's just transparent that we should abolish the Department of Education. I've also taken yes. the position that uh, we should abolish the Bureau of Indian Affairs, for heaven's sake, which Native Americans literally refer to as bossing Indians around. But uh, in fact, I, I saw a cartoon one time, Carla, you'll probably like this. There was this huge office room open, and there were lots of people sitting at typewriters and on the phones and everything. But off in the corner, there was uh, one man who was crying. He was in tears. And it happened to be the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And the people asked, well, well, what happened to that man? Why is he crying? And the response was, oh, his Indian died, which, of course, implies that we had fully as many people working in the Bureau of Indian Affairs as we <laughs> did Native Americans that they were addressing. It's just, it's out of control. Wow. And of course, yeah. Native Americans are at the bottom of pretty much every socioeconomic class that we look at. And because they can't take responsibility for their own actions. They cannot even own their own homes on the reservation. Okay, what does that mean? Well, they have no incentive to fix it up because they don't own it. And they also, if they want to start a small business, they can't use their home as collateral for a business loan because they don't own it. So we're keeping them down. Government really is effective at 
keeping people down and increasing government power. So, libertarian, we, we need more songs from Carla Howell on those subjects. Get busy, <laughs> Carla. Okay. No, help. but I totally agree with what you said. Government is the problem. It, it truly is. It, it just truly is. And we talk about wars and everything, too. We got to go back. And uh, we had a representative, Tom Campbell, former member of the House of Representatives on our show a while ago, talking about the Constitution and how when he was in Congress, he passed, he proposed two resolutions because we'd just gone into Kosovo sending our troops. And one was to have a declaration of war so that we would be fighting a war in Kosovo. And the other was, if there wasn't a declaration of war, to remove our troops, that it's either one or the other. And Mm -hmm. literally... The people in power in the Republican Party came to him and said, oh, no, re- withdraw both of those resolutions that we had our Vietnam. If if Kosovo under Clinton is successful, we'll take the credit. And if it's not successful, we'll let him take the blame. It's all politics. It's disgusting. And the Democrats came to him also said, remove those resolutions because, you know, we're going to. It's 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 war, and we can we can do this, and well, we'll take some credit for it. It just it's an outrage, but it's all big government, Carla. And you're right; the Democrats and Republicans basically approach it just the same. Yep, we are in agreement. <laughs> as you well, I, con- I convinced you at least. That's that's good. <laughs> well, you know, in a couple of minutes remaining before we take a break, uh, what are the issues that you feel that the Libertarian Party really can address beneficially that are being misaddressed? We've we've uh, we've certainly mentioned some, and they're huge. What are a couple of others that we can ponder uh, when we take our recess in a moment? Okay, I think that we need to what what we need the Libertarian Party to do more of is to be constantly putting out these proposals. You you know I you and I have been talking about them, but I some candidates do it great. They do a great job. Um, but some of them neglect to they they wax philosophical. They talk about libertarian principle, which has its place. But when you're a candidate, you need to be getting those proposals out there, like the ones you were just discussing, ending ending the Department of Education, why it makes things makes life better for voters we need a lot more of that and i would also say that we should never shy away unless they get to be really outlandish but bold proposals are really the best we really should welcome and and celebrate bold proposals they're exciting they motivate people our ballot initiatives in massachusetts show that we can get a lot of votes with bold campaigns Harry Brown showed when he was libertarian candidate for president, running on ending the income tax, ending the war on drugs, withdrawing from all these outposts around the world militarily. Uh, he grew the party. The libertarian party has still yet to recover to the heights that it was at when Harry Brown ran his bold and exciting presidential campaigns. Well, you're, you're certainly right. You convinced me as well. In fact, it was Ron Paul who said that we in the United States have something on the order of 600 military reservations around the world, in other countries around the world. And clearly, and I, I think that the military would agree with this, some of them we would be safer, be more free and safer if we were to, in fact, withdraw, close down those military reservations, that people look askance at us if it seems like they're, we're occupying their land. So we could probably do away with 400 of the 600 
bring our troops home from there, spend our money here, and actually be safer. These are things that we need to look into. Uh, maybe another song about that one as well, Carlo Hall, Carlo Hall <laughs> would, would really be helpful. So you're, you're going to be sorry you were interviewed on this show because you have a number, number of extra tasks ahead of you because you're so successful. So oh, I'll no. give you a couple of moments to ponder that uh, as we go to our break and hear these messages. Then we'll come back and talk about more libertarian issues with our wonderful guest, Carla Howell. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray. As you have heard on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, with my really esteemed special guest, Carla Howell, a force in the Libertarian Party, a force in our nation. And you heard some of her songs. Look for them. You know, it'll be out probably in the year 2020 sometime, but but be aware. And when they are released, uh, we'll let you know here at All Rise. And in the meantime, as I've said for numbers of months now, my wife is encourage me to bring in a little bit of silliness or, or less than serious stuff so I can tell you that uh, what I grew up with the Wizard of Oz and I was wondering by reading that with the scarecrow and the rest how somebody without a brain could talk until I saw some postings on Facebook now I understand at any rate that's that's part of the problem here but Carla welcome back and, and again I just applaud your not only your your efforts but but your professionalism you you sing really well and you've got this arranged you had a good uh, good blender there for uh, for putting your songs together I was just really impressed first do no harm yak yak bourbon what's inside your head and I was actually heard as well how could I live without filing taxes all of these make great statements and, and it's a great part for the cause but to shift gears a little bit 
Uh, I was the head of the World Affairs Council here in Orange County, California, and we had an ambassador, John Negroponte, who had an enormously effective career in the Department of State. Uh, he held many high positions there, ambassadorships, etc. And at the end of that presentation, we all, we don't invite guests unless they'll agree to questions and answers, just like here at All Rise. But the first question that Ambassador Negroponte was asked is, what is the biggest security threat to the United States of America? And without batting an eye, he said, it's the deficit. And that is not being discussed, but it is a time bomb. Do you agree that that is probably the biggest security threat to the United States? Uh, Well, first, let's call deficit spending what it is. I like to quote Michael Cloud, who points out that Deficit spending is simply government overspending. It's politicians refusing to live within their means. And yes, I would consider it a very significant threat, whether I'd call it a security threat or just a general threat. I think it's a big, big problem. Um, And the one of the immediate effects of this is obviously we are we've got this huge debt hanging over our heads, but they're very immediate impacts of deficit spending and the debt that it re- or government overspending I should say and the debt that results and that is that the feds since they don't have the money they either go into further debt or they print money and when they print money as they've been doing for many decades um, it inflates the currency which makes your do- dollars worth less and lowers your standard of living this is why the dollars that bought you four bags of groceries 40 years ago buys you only one bag of groceries today and that cost of groceries and everything else will keep going up. That is lost wealth because of greedy politicians that are overspending. Um, and because they have racked up so much debt, they pressure the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates low so that the debt, which is now the interest on the debt, which is now $300 billion, doesn't balloon up to a trillion dollars. So these artificially low interest rates badly distort the whole lending industry. And it leaves those dependent on a fixed income, mostly seniors, in dire straits because they can't get a return on their savings without risking it in the stock market. And we all know what can happen to the stock market values when there's a crash. So someone who's retiring doesn't really want to see their nest egg be cut in half overnight because they had to put it in the stock market to get a return. So let's turn that around. Rather than just complain about big government, and talk about what we should do about it. What we need to do is force politicians to spend within their means, just as you and I do. And we need to run candidates who not only refuse to vote for any budget that's bigger than it is today or was yesterday. The budget must go down or they're not going to vote for it. That's the kind of candidates that we need. And when we get enough candidates saying this and popularizing the idea where the voters say we are not going to accept any politicians who continue this overspending, what's going to happen is it will we will finally see interest we will have at least a, a basis for which interest rates can return to fair market values and seniors will be able to get a return that allows them to retire with financial security and rest easy. Prices will stabilize for everyone, which means the cost of food, housing, and clothing and other essentials will stay more where it is and will will be affordable for people in the future. Our dollars will go further, which means everyone's standard of living will go up when we stop adding to debt and stop printing money. Other than that, you have no uh, opinion whatsoever. Is that right? (laughs) Oh, no. You know what? What you said was volumes. I, I, 
I would ask people to go back and, and play it again several times because you said so much. One thing, though, you said, oh, it's, a, it's on our heads. Basically, it's going to be on our children, too, and our grandchildren are bankrupt. I've said numbers of times on this show, and it's flat out literally true. This is something that we should all, in my opinion, sponsor legislation that would require Congress to designate the source of their funding before they authorize any funding. Anytime you're going to say, yep. oh, we're going to, we're going to spend money on this, that, or the other thing, you must say where that money's going to come from and, and not not accept, oh, we're going to print money, oh, we're going to have deficit spending for this. This is an outrage, and this is a security threat to our country. So please, let's I think that would be a, a great. That. That would be a great measure and would certainly help. And, and I think it's also important to emph- emphasize not just a long-term effect. Yes, we're burdening our kids and grandchildren with this debt burden, but we are also harming people alive today. You and I and everyone else who's been alive on this earth for, for a decade or longer has experienced inflation. That is because of government overspending, and it has to stop. That's simply true. Simply flat, hear ye, hear ye, that's true. By the way, Carla, and I don't know if you've thought of this before, but every year the federal government keeps printing pennies, and nobody uses pennies anymore. I don't even carry any change in my pocket anymore. Uh, I'll deal with with dollar bills or, or with credit cards, but why are we still producing pennies? And then what do we do with them? Because no one wants them. They actually pay more money to store them in the Federal Reserve or someplace. It's just absolutely insane, in my opinion, today. I would stop the production of pennies post-haste. Did you know that? No, but I mean, just the fact, I mean, it's been true for a while. I don't know if it's still true that the copper is worth more than a penny that are that's in a penny. And I know they've been lightening the coins. So I don't know if that's if it still has as much copper content. But yeah, it's not surprising that the government would, government would take the measures that you just said, because that's what governments do. They're not rational. They're not um regulated by the market and market regulation is the most powerful and effective form of regulation that there is. Um, Without that, you have waste, you have redundancy, you have just uh, foolish things like what you described um, of, of storing pennies. It'd be nice if we could actually make the penny be worth something again. I have seen people panhandling, Carla, panhandling, asking for donations and stuff. And you look at their feet, and there are a couple of pennies sitting by their feet, and they don't even stoop to pick them up. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right. And it costs the federal government, hear ye, hear ye on this one, costs the federal government one and three quarter cents to produce each penny. Certainly makes a great deal of sense, but if you understand that, you understand big government. So I've stated a number of times in this program, and I'll bet you believe with this in in me, that the Libertarian Party literally is the only political party that is in the mainstream of American political thought today. Uh, Do you agree with this? And if so, why, Carla Howell? Very much I do. In my observation, more people agree with Libertarians than with either Democrats or Republicans. Um, And... That's because the Democrat and Republican parties have become an amalgamation of special interests that lobby them. You know, unions lobby them, um, Planned Parenthood lobbies them, Right to Life lobbies them, all these different groups lobby them, and they sort of form around these different positions that have nothing to do with each other. They're just very random, really, and they've changed over time, whereas the Libertarian Party is based on the very simple principle that government doesn't work well, it should be kept extremely small, and people should be left free to live their lives as they 
see fit. Most people fundamentally agree with that. They think government's too big. They think taxes are too high. They want government to be smaller than it is. And polls have have shown this for as long as I've been active for over 20 years now. So uh, absolutely, the Libertarian Party does represent and libertarian ideals do represent what most people want. And I think a major distinction is that all other political parties make money on government, that they will give money to these friends, these cronies, these these supporters. The Libertarian Party is by itself that it did not make money on government. It's not in existence to make money because they're involved in government. They're in existence to protect our freedoms uh, for everybody and to have smaller governments so that everyone except those in government benefit. That that is... I think, in the mainstream of American political thought today, but it certainly is not in the thought of any other political party except the libertarians. You think that's a valid observation? I think that's a very valid observation, and I think that really does point to what the Democrat and Republican parties are really about. They claim to be ideological, and there are certainly people who are there and ideologically driven, but the reality of it, especially when you get into campaigns, you really start to see how things work. It is driven by money on the left and the right. It is about government profiteers and they're profiting on the backs of the American people. Well, I have another song title for you, and that is Government is Money. And I think you could, that could be a very long song, by the way, but it's true. You know, the government simply is follow the money if you at any time, by the way, I read an editorial. Uh, the first thing I do is look at who is writing it because you want to see where they are politically. And, and if you're going to have some form of initiative or, or measure on the ballot, who is sponsoring it? Because some people are going to make money. Some people are going to come out ahead if you support that. That doesn't mean you don't vote for it, but it does mean that you're not sophisticated in your vote unless you understand the forces behind it. You understand the forces that would gain by this particular initiative. So the libertarian, we're sitting here agreeing with each other, Carla, and of course uh, we can go on for another few hours and find numbers and numbers of other topics in which we'd also agree on the same area. But the Libertarian Party came into the existence in the, in the 1970s, and it's been quite a while now, approaching 50 years. Why do you think that we have not been able to have more influence in the American elections? Why have we not elected more people to office like Judge Jim Gray and Governor Gary Johnson running for president and vice president in 2012. Why are, at this point, we not successful in getting more people elected? Well, I think you hit on it just a moment ago when you were talking about money. Those who love big government, which consists mostly of those who profit from government, be it government unions or government-enabled unions, corporations, cartels, they go where the power is. They hire lobbyists, they fund campaigns indirectly with your tax dollars and sometimes directly with your tax dollars, and they cozy up to the media and they vote. So the people who owe their jobs and their handsome wages to unions, corporations, and cartels, as well as, of course, government jobs themselves, they get behind the Democrats and or Republicans who are doing their bidding. Now, they're still a minority, but they reliably vote. In contrast, the silent majority of Americans don't want big government. They're turned off by politics. They just want to live their lives. And many are resigned until we change that. And they believe that their vote doesn't count. So they don't vote. 
it's not that we're outnumbered. We are in, in fact, the majority. It's that our ranks don't vote and the big government supporters do. And so they win. Um, And the Democrats and Republicans, as you know, have also passed onerous laws that make ballot access very costly and difficult um, and exclude and uh, often keep us from actually even getting our candidates on the ballot. That's another big problem. But I would say the biggest obstacle is the mainstream media followed closely by schools. Most educational institutions are supporters of big government. They're usually on the left. Most of the influencers in the media who cover politics, writers, editors, and publishers are solid supporters of big government, whether they are on the left or the right. And they have tremendous influence over elections. They can puff a candidate, they can discredit a a candidate, or they can simply black them out so that no one even knows that they're running. And sadly, that's the fate of many libertarian campaigns. There's no reason for it. Our candidates are legally on the ballot. They are absolutely qualified for the offices that they're running, and they should be in the debates. But unfortunately, they are excluded or just not even covered in the first place, so the voters don't even know they're there and don't recognize their name when they see it on the ballot. So the problem is not at all our libertarian ideas. Polls have shown, as I said, that people consistently want less government. It's that we are not getting close to fair coverage by the media. The media is very closely tied to and in bed with the Democrat and Republican powers that be, and so they have systematically... Uh, reduced the visibility or excluded outright libertarians from campaigns. Um, so if they, if we had anything close to fair coverage by the media, there is no question that many people would be voting libertarian. Many people, more people would be running on the libertarian ticket and we would start to see libertarian policies being enacted enacted at all levels of government. So we're not going to turn this, we, we have the powers that be very much set against our goals, but all is not lost because we can turn this around. The power is in the hands of the people. It is in, it is in their vote. We need to show voters that they can use this power and as our opponents do very, very regularly, that if they use that power, we can get small government candidates elected, we can pass small government ballot initiatives, and we can free ourselves from big government. And we really need to focus on the local level, I believe, that Carla, if we were to elect people to the city council, to the water district, to the board of supervisors or whatever, then people will not just listen, oh, wouldn't this be wonderful, but they would actually see what happens when you start employing libertarian values and libertarian approaches. Wait a minute. Oh, that that's that bureau is becoming more conducted to to public interest and smaller and less intrusive i like that oh that's a libertarian oh yeah let's get more of those libertarians because it's working so that particular person on the city council would very likely be asked to run for the assembly or something replaced by another libertarian and build it from the bottom up that we haven't done that very much but i really think that we should find some really strong local candidates probably younger that are that are intelligent and and libertarian bring in those values elect them to local office and then show the local people there what it what the difference it makes. I think Jeff Hewitt is now doing that on the Board of Supervisors in Riverside County in California, but I think that we that's where we really need to put a focus because it's awfully difficult to get attention in the media on U.S. Senate races and presidential races, etc. Uh, do you subscribe well, to that? Well, I say 
I welcome anyone running for office at any level whose intention is to shrink government. Power to them all. I think there's pros and cons for local versus state and federal. Local, obviously, you can get get elected more easily. Um, State and federal, far more challenging, but you get much broader coverage, even though all of our candidates do get blacked out to one degree or another. We do get candidates who break through occasionally. Usually a, a, a legislative candidate will get at least one article in the paper, and uh, statewide candidates get much more than that. So we get we we do a lot more reaching people at the higher levels. We get a lot more visibility. And we're also then able to associate it with libertarian ideas. At the local level, they're often nonpartisan. Often the candidates don't talk about their party affiliation or identify that their proposals are libertarian per se, because at the local level, people don't tend to care about partisanship very much. So there's trade-offs either way. I think they all have potential to do good. And I encourage people to run for whatever level of office they feel comfortable running at. And truly so, and I, I agree with that as well. We had previously as a guest on All Rise, uh, Nick Sarwark, who, Carla, of course, you know, is the head of the Libertarian National Committee. And he was also a candidate for mayor in Phoenix not long ago. And he told us that they had numbers of debates. And, of course, debates are hugely important for numbers of reasons to get our information out there. But also, he was not present for the last debate because he had another speaking obligation. And he was told by his friends that, whoa, when Nick wasn't there as the Libertarian candidate, a lot of issues that the Republicans and Democrats did not want to discuss did not get discussed because he would bring them up. So that's another important reason to having Libertarians running and a part of the discussion, a part of the debates. And the other one, of course, is that, and we've seen this over time, that that if you bring up these issues, the other parties, because they see that they have legs, they see that people agree with them, so the other candidates start shading, changing things their approaches to, to, in effect, attract the votes of those people that believe in smaller government. So those are both things that we really need to do. And I think this has been done many times. Uh, I know there's been some effort by Karen Ann Harlos on the Libertarian National Committee to uh, get LPpedia uh, built up so we can archive a lot of the libertarian accomplishments over the year. But I, a lot of them have done what you just said. They have changed the terms of debate. I know that happened in when I ran for governor in 2002, and I was also running the ballot initiative to end the income tax. That became the num- number one most talked about issue in the entire state that election year. And that's huge to get people actually talking about ending the income tax as their number one issue. I was told that after the election at Thanksgiving dinners, families were debating it. They were talking about it still. So yes, it's true that when libertarians are there, the issues that get talked about change dramatically. And, and it's true. And people think, oh, my vote won't matter. So I'm not, I haven't voted in 10 years and that sort of thing, which I really dispute that people you you understand the people in politics want your votes and if they see that even a libertarian candidate or a minority candidate gets 10% of the vote the other people that even win the election whoa i mean i want to get i want to attract those votes so they will adjust their positions toward those even minority voters and so people i think as citizens in the united states have an absolute obligation to what i say make the system work and what do i mean by that well we have those obligations to 
vote in elections, I think, to be an intelligent voter, to school yourself, to educate yourself about the issues and the candidates. Vote for whom you wish, but but educate yourself first. And also to to be involved with juries when called upon. But to make the system work is the third one. And that is we are all in a position sometimes to see people that cannot defend themselves uh, and, and they need our help. So step forward and, and, and make that system work. And you can certainly do that by voting. That will make a difference and people will you'll certainly get their attention even if your candidate doesn't win. So what do you see in our great country coming up in the upcoming 2020 elections, Carla, and, and see the direction we're going in? Because we're certainly more polarized now, in, in my opinion, than we've ever been before in my lifetime. People are yelling at each other, calling each other names and the rest. I've never heard libertarians do that, at least not most, although one of them had a striptease at our national convention. I'm still horrified by that. But one way or the other... What do you see the future in the upcoming elections, Carla Howell? Because you're a you're a mainstay in the Libertarian Party and even more educated about the nuances than I am. Well, I think, like you said, uh, the left-right bashing is at a fever pitch this, these days, and you see very little talk about policy. Libertarians running for office, small government candidates running for office have the opportunity to inject into this conversation real proposals for much less government. Trump will continue to give lip service to cutting government, but he has shown no real intention of draining the swamp. The federal budget has grown dramatically under his uh, presidency, um, and the tariffs were wrongheaded. It's costing people jobs. The Democrats are proposing all kinds of crazy things. Uh, So we need libertarians to be in there proposing small government solutions and showing people how they will benefit from them. I expect we will have good candidates that do exactly that. And I would like to mention along those lines that when I was political director for the Libertarian Party, I put together a document which can be found at lpaction.org called Game Changing Libertarian Communications. I strongly recommend anyone read it, even if you're never planning to run for office. And um, that will that I think is very critical. It, it really makes the point we need to put our proposals out there and we need to sell them effectively, show voters why they will be better off with these proposals. And if I may also put in a plug, carlahowell.com to catch up on the releases of my libertarian music uh, releasing starting in, in October um, and hope that people will enjoy them and share them, which is the whole reason I wrote them was it so people could share them with others in their lives and, and hopefully open their minds. Carlahowell.com, C A R L A. H-O-W-E-L-L.com. Absolutely, Carla. And what was that first website for the Libertarian Party? Because that's a really important one as well. LPAction.org. And at that website, you can learn about who's driving a game I created for training candidates and Libertarian Communications. uh, Game Changing Libertarian Communications is the name of the document. And it's well worth reading for any activist. Carla, thank you for being with us. You, you've really given a lot of insight, a lot of information, and some really good songs. So I'm going to go to carlohowell.com as follow your songs as we go. You also mentioned the tariffs, which is just a disaster for, for everybody except government. But So you pass these tariffs, and then the administration finds, oh, we're going to give an exemption for pe- 
for corn farmers, but not for soybeans and stuff. It's just money. So look into it. Exercise your vote. Think about the Libertarian Party. Go to isidewith.com. Go to carlahowell.com as well. And you'll just, we'll keep talking honestly, openly, uh, educating ourselves about these various issues. So that's what we think here in All Rise. If we do that, if we employ these procedures and thoughts and actions, we will all rise together. Tune in next week where we'll take on another subject and be edified again. I am just kind of sitting here listening and taking notes of these wonderful guests like Carla Howell. Tune in next Friday, tune in next week on demand, and listen again to All Rise. In the meantime, this is Judge Jim Gray saying happily, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Americans all, strengthened by bonds that help us control.